0: Welcome to TESO Consulting Group's DEI podcast series, Why is it so hard? Shining through the shadow of resistance. I'm Dr. Tanya Breeland, And I am
1: Erica Leek. In this podcast series, we'll discuss issues that prevent us from being a socially just society and a free one as well. So the goal here is to disrupt racial inequality and inequities that really present themselves in systems. Um, So each episode will challenge you to be the change that you want to see. So let's get started. So we're really
0: excited because today is our first podcast. As you can see, we are um, recording during the holiday season. Um, but we are excited because we first want to just introduce you to what we're doing and why we're doing this. Um, you heard our intro at the very start, um, but we want to get a little bit more into, you know, why this topic? Why are we talking about this? Because I think that this is something that um, is really important. Yes. So when you think about like this whole topic about like, you know, why is this so hard? I mean, really, that's, that's, the, that's the podcast series itself. Yes focusing on why this is so hard and shining through the shadow of resistance. You know, what comes to mind for you, Erica, when you're thinking about um, this topic?
1: Well, I think it's something that we've just been struggling just in terms of humanity, right? We've been struggling with just treating each other fairly and also addressing inequities in systems. And that's why I think that it's aptly titled Why is this so hard? It just seems to be something that we continually come back to. Something flares up, everybody gets upset, or not enough people get upset, and then we're frustrated all over again, and it's just, um, it just seems to be hard. So we want to sort of unpack some of that, Mm -hmm. like why is it so hard? And I think as you kind of take this journey with us, I think we'll all see that maybe it's not as hard as we thought. Maybe not. Maybe not. We hope not. We hope so not. We'll see. We'll see. We hope not.
0: So um, let's let's kind of take it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we're both children of the '70s. Yes, we are. And you know, times were different in the '70s,
1: um, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story, Erica. Sure. So the town where I grew up is uh, now is predominantly residents of color, um, but I was there through the change. So when we first got there, it was predominantly white. I lived through sort of the mixed uh, town and and, and now it's, predominant, it's predominantly residents of color. And so, you know, I saw, you know, when my parents moved there, they came, my father's from Philly, North Philly, <laughs> my mom's from Brooklyn. And so they really wanted something different for, for their children. But my father and my mother, I think they knew that there were gonna be some challenges for us racially. You know, my parents are both African-American. They have African-American children. And what they saw was that we were going to have our own set of challenges. Mm -hmm. One of the things my father said was, you know, if you're going to be successful, you're gonna have to work twice as hard to get half as far. He said that to us over and over again. And it did two things for us. One, we worked hard. We worked hard in our grades, we worked hard in sports, whatever we were doing, we worked hard. But the other thing that it did is that it showed us um, when we didn't quite get recognized like maybe some other kids did, it kind of manifested itself and we understood kind of what it was. It didn't stop us from working hard, but we understood that outside of sports, as African-American people, we weren't going to get that much recognition. I think it drove us, though. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where I find myself now. Like, how fair is that? Mm -hmm. You know, how fair is that? And I think that really kind of spurred my work as an educator. So that's kind of a little bit of my mission. What about you, Tanya? How'd you get here? So, you know,
0: it's interesting. When I was um, a child, I remember hearing all the time that black is beautiful. And so as a child, I felt like I'm beautiful. You know, my parents bought dolls that looked like me, which was pretty unique because I don't know that there wife. were, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I don't know that there were a lot of dolls like black dolls on the market, but I had them. Mm-hmm. You know, if they if they existed, I probably had them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I could see myself in the toys that I played with. Um, my first first encounter in school, I had a black kindergarten teacher and a black first grade teacher. And what I found out later was, That was a time in um, history in the town that I lived in, and I lived in Illinois. That was a time where there was a big push to diversify the teacher workforce. Sound familiar? Yep. And so I happened to have had two black teachers at the start of my schooling. By the time I got to second grade, I was the only black child in my second grade Mm. class. And I knew it because my teacher treated me differently. And she treated me harshly compared to my my friends in the class. And I didn't know anything about racism at the time, but all I kept thinking was, it must be because I'm black that she's treating me this way. And what was interesting was when I became an adult, my parents handed me a box of mementos. They said, um, you know, here's all your stuff from your childhood. And I'm looking at this box and inside the box was the report card from my second grade teacher and she had nothing positive to say to me. That's crazy. Nothing. And so I just assumed that this was her. Like yeah. she was a problem. She couldn't see me the way those other teachers saw me. And it, it wasn't a reflection on me, but it was a reflection on mm. her. But that I think was partially the beginning of, you know, what started shaping me in, you know, what it is that I wanna do.
1: I guess that's interesting. We both have these um, these memories mm-hmm. from school, right? So we're both former educators, mm-hmm. and so you're an elementary um, former elementary educator a- and I'm a... middle. I didn't and like middle. it. I didn't like it. Yeah, <laughs> That's interesting because I did my student teaching in middle school. I didn't like it either. It's <laughs> like get out of here. But um, but I was much more suited for the high school classroom. But in your in that early experience, like how do you think that shaped you as an educator? Like what are some so it, things it that It
0: really ended? made me want to see my children in the classroom. It made me want to make sure that they felt special and that they felt like they were loved and that there was an environment where they belonged. And when I first started teaching, I was teaching in an urban district and later um, transitioned to a suburban mm-hmm. district where I had, you know, more diversity in my classroom. Mm -hmm. But even with that diversity, I still was really intentional about creating that kind of environment Mm -hmm. for my kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it was, like, I I felt like I was passed over for opportunities, Mm -hmm. for access to leadership programs and academic kinds of, you know, those kinds of programs in, in high school felt like I wasn't seen as you were talking about. And so for me, it was, I made sure that my kids knew what was happening. I made sure that my students were aware of some of the opportunities that the school or the community offered. And so in that, it really sort of provided um, just uh, information for them. Very often, you know, you don't do something because you don't know that it's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to talk about some of that, you know, some of these, um, uh, some podcast of our, uh, our podcast episodes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, but yeah, but that was really key for me, making sure that they knew what was available to them. And so I think our our early memories really kind of shaped the way that we operated, you know, on behalf of our students. I agree. So when did you realize that you were black? That is a good question yeah. I think um, actually when I when we moved onto our street mm-hmm. that's my earliest memory of race I um, when we moved onto our street in in a suburban New Jersey um, there were white kids there were black kids and I, there was just one little girl who I think we were friendly but it, it seemed to me that um, in other spaces I was free to kind of play with kids. But in this space, for whatever reason, with this particular girl, I felt like her parents didn't want us to be alone. For whatever reason, it just felt like they were always there, hovering, hovering. waiting for something and to yeah, happen. That's kinda, I, I yeah, that's kind of I had that feeling, you know. And so, I, I I don't know. For some reason, I just thought it was I just thought it was because I was black and, mm-hmm. and she was white. And my, mother, my father may have confirmed that, my mother may have confirmed that later, but I kind of almost knew instinctively that there was something different about playing with this girl who happened to be white as opposed to my other friends who, mm. who were not. And so that was very early. It was very, it must've been about four or so. Wow. But I realized then like, okay, there's a difference here. What yeah. about you? So I have to say
0: it was probably that second grade classroom. Because prior to that, I was um, around more people that looked like me, so they were really affirming spaces. So mm-hmm. I don't think I had to think about the distinction between me and others until I saw a difference. Mm. And that, that yeah. difference came in that second grade classroom. Yeah. I don't remember it any time after that, but that second grade classroom, it really stood out but I just didn't have the language to call it what it was. Um, And I think that's when I realized, you know, like, okay, so I'm different, you know, and my being different might mean that I might get treated differently. Um, But even in being treated differently, I didn't think there was something wrong with me, Mm -hmm. which was good. And I think Mm -hmm. it was because of those affirming spaces growing up around, you know, family and community who really said that, you know, black was beautiful and, you know, we are somebody essentially yeah Um, i think that was really really important
1: i think that speaks to Mm -hmm. the importance of just the supportive environment that kids need and you know they need to be affirmed and they need to be told that you know you're okay Mm -hmm. you know whatever Mm -hmm. package you come Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. you know you're you're okay and so what do you think like what have you seen when that doesn't happen, when kids don't get that, what are some things that you've seen that happens when kids are not affirmed? Well, sadly, we see kids who have
0: issues with anxiety or depression, or they may act out. Now, the acting out is something that I saw a lot, Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately. And, um, you know, when I was, you know, depending on where I was and what school system I was in, you know, there were spaces where kids would act out for some teachers and not for others. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of it had to do with the environment. And I also think we have to point out how important this is because these are the kids that grow up to become adults in various workspaces. And, you know, sometimes we see those adults who are loners or we see adults who are troublemakers. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And it makes you wonder like, you know what happened to you when you were a child yes. you know were right. you in spaces did somebody affirm you did somebody make you feel that you were someone who belonged yeah. um, it reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. we talk about that sometimes mm-hmm. when we're training and you know Maslow says that every human being not just children every person adult child needs to feel like they belong yeah. and when they don't feel like they belong then you create some problems. Yes. They need
1: that connection. Yeah. They need to feel like they're rooted in this space, that we want you here, and you're valued. And you're right, when they don't feel that, and they continue to not feel that. So if I don't feel that at school, and then I don't feel that in my community, and maybe I don't feel that at work, then we have these issues really with disconnection. That's correct. And then we don't achieve, and we don't feel good. And we don't care if other people feel good as well. So it's not just a matter of, you know, wanting a a kid to feel good. Mm -hmm. It's like this kind of reverberates in some other spaces. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really important as well. Mm -hmm. So then when you think
0: about, you know, this topic and you think about, you know, why we do what we do, because we always say like, you know, we love what we do. Why do you think this, like, what's the connection between what we do, where we've come from, you know what we love about what we do. Like, you know, how do you connect all of that?
1: That's a really good question. So, when I was younger and much more immature, <laughs> and I and and like as a teenager, yeah. When I sort of felt frustrated, you know, with sort of like racial uh, interaction, I used to think to myself like, I'm just gonna be around black people. I'm just gonna work around black people. I'm gonna go to church with black people. I'm gonna my family's. And that's not realistic. Because it's not the world. It's not the world. Exactly. We're diverse. Um, And we come, even if I did sort of, you know, kind of uh, separate myself, even within the African-American community, there's diversity within that, right? Sure. Absolutely. Different cultural backgrounds, different languages, different expectations. And so, you know, the idea that you would just separate yourself, it's like you said, it's just not the world. And so. The reality is that in all spaces, we're just becoming increasingly diverse. Mm -hmm. We're becoming increasingly diverse. And in past generations, maybe we didn't necessarily have to learn to live and work and, you know, shop and, you know, dine together and go to school together. But now we do, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's important for us to not just do it because it's obligatory, but to do it and just understand that, you know, there are strengths lies in our differences. That's true um, and I think that's really that's a really important point to make um, when we
0: talk about you know diversity in this world and this this of course has a lot to do with the kind of work that we do yeah. every day um, and we're talking about it right now but I mean this is deep like this isn't just like some shallow conversation like and and I I e why we are doing this podcast um, you know there's a lot of to really unpack yeah. when we're talking about issues of diversity yeah. and you know where we are in this world
1: or where we are individually, um, it's, it's significant. It is. And think about like when we're not in spaces where we feel accepted for mm-hmm. our culture, for our race, like think about how you feel. Mm-hmm. Like this is about like how people feel mm-hmm. and it has implications in terms of our mental health it has implications in terms of, you know, how wh- how we interact with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be in spaces where I feel good and others do, too. And I know yes. that sounds kind of pie in the sky. But think about it you know, very often when we're not getting along, you know, think about the danger that, you know, that comes to us, that comes to others. And for kids, it's just not fair really. So I I love the spaces when we're able to talk to people who interact with kids, Mm -hmm. you know, because we want kids to be in spaces where they understand that, you know, there are differences, but that doesn't sort of present a hierarchy. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to judge people based on their differences. You actually can get along in those differences, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that's really a part of particularly as an educator, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the, one of my greatest, greatest privileges was really to work in a super diverse district Mm -hmm. and really get kids in the, in the spaces where they were learning to understand and work with and learn each other. Mm -hmm. It was a really great feeling. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And that was actually one of the reasons why we moved to a town with our kids that was diverse because we wanted our kids to be able to um, understand that, number one, we live in a diverse world. Yeah. Number two, they need to be able to get along with everybody. And, you know, you know, there's a way that we may interact when we're just with each other. And there's a way that we interact when we're, when we're with other yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this was an opportunity for us to teach our children how to be able to, to get along in this world with whomever. And I think it served them well, because I've, I've got adult kids now. And a grandchild. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, and you know, it's, it's so key. They work in spaces where they are able to connect with the people yeah. that they work with. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they may encounter situations where race comes
1: mm-hmm.
0: up. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, a lot of times they work in situations where race comes up and they are confronted with Um, how they're going to engage um, and or even educate people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really, I think that's something that came from how we reared them as parents. Um, And also what we want for them, you know, as they, you know, as they continue to, like, you know, raise the next generation. Yeah.
1: We made similar Mm -hmm. decisions to just live in a really diverse community we didn't want our kids to be, you know, um, the only, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. we d- we also wanted them to see the diversity in humanity mm-hmm. and in the neighborhood. And I think they had similar experiences. I mean, really just coming down to they were very one of the things that they did that I don't think our generation was really taught to do, our kids learned names. You know, they were very intentional about pronouncing names, regardless of where, um, you know, what language or what culture their friend's name, you know, came from, they were very intentional and they did not use nicknames unless it was, you know, permitted. I mean, it was a really good, it taught me really about, about that, that, that how elemental and we do some work around names and making sure that educators kind of understand the importance and honor Mm -hmm. their, and honor one's name, but I think. That diversity and really sort of encouraging our kids to mm-hmm. just have a really diverse circle of friends. I think it did. It does serve them not only in, in the K twelve setting but also in college.
0: You know, and our beyond. kids went
1: to diverse um, universities and also and and beyond. Absolutely.
0: But yeah. I will say that even as children, they were confronted with racism. Sure. Um, I remember a story where our daughter was um, in a dance class at maybe seven, eight years old. And a girl said that her face was dirty mm. because she was she mm. was brown, and you know the way that she handled it wasn't the way that we taught her, but she handled it, <laughs> um, and so <laughs> you know it, it was something that you know she carried with her though, yes. um, and it was probably one of her first encounters with you know somebody having a bias towards mm-hmm. her, mm-hmm. which you know kind of brings us full circle back to you know why we do what we do because we do a lot of this racial equity work um, and this racial equity work is i think some of the hardest work because historically
1: in our country
0: we've had some issues we
1: have and and, and there continue
0: are, to have issues
1: we do there are things we don't even see <laughs> there are inequities that we've just sort of taken as um this is just how things are mm-hmm. and The good news is that they don't have to be that way. That's true. right? We can change. We can be the change that we want to see, but the the challenge is we have to see that it needs to be changed. Yeah. Yeah. You you remind me
0: of um, a quote that James Baldwin um, shared, and it's like, not everything that is faced can be Mm -hmm. changed, Mm -hmm. but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And so, We do this work because we believe that we can help make change. Mm. And some of that change needs to be systemic because the problems that we have in our society did not just start with some individuals. There were systems that were set up and put in place specifically to make it difficult for people who look like you and me to be able to get ahead in this world and those systems are still at play even today. Unfortunately. Unfortunately.
1: Unfortunately, they are.
0: But I believe that there's hope, like, you know, like, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't do this work if there weren't hope, you know, hope that we can make some changes, um, that we can um, lead people to think about how they do what they do to um, create a lens that's a little bit different. Um, where they see things a little bit differently, where they begin to see where inequities lie in society and in systems. I think all of that is why we do what we do.
1: And so we really just invite you to take this journey with us, yeah. right? To unpack some things, some things personally, some things collectively. What are we noticing in our society? What are we noticing that you know we would really like to change? what are some things maybe we didn't notice and we didn't realize, you know, there were those barriers there. And although, uh, some of this seems hard it's, mm-hmm. you know, we're frustrated really by the persistence of these challenges. What we know is that there is an opportunity for change and that it starts with us. And we're going to take a look at these systems. And at the end, we are going to be able to say, now that wasn't so hard, was it? No, <laughs> was it wasn't. You know, that's, that's what we're going to ask you, you know. But we want you to consider all of these things. Yes.
0: We are Tiso Consulting Group. I'm Tanya. And I'm Erica. And we're glad that you joined us today.